I want to ask you to open your Bibles to a visit with an old friend. Psalm 86. For about a dozen years as a church, we have come to the Psalms during the summer. We call it Songs of Summer. And we pick up where we left off last summer. And today we pick up with Psalm 86. If you're going through your first summer with us at Watkinsville, um, don't leave. Don't give up. You're really not 85 Psalms behind or a dozen years behind. All right. In fact, you could go find those sermons and listen to some of those if you like or just pick up right here and take this journey with us and for the next 10 years or seven or eight we'll finish around August of 2030 probably. Today when we talk about this psalm or a return to psalms being like a visit with old friends It's like that for our church, but it's, it's more than that for me personally. It really is like a visit with a longtime friend. I realized at the first of this past week that 30 years ago, 30 years ago this year, I preached for the very first time from Psalm 86. I was in seminary at Mid-America Baptist Seminary. Carla and I were in our second year of marriage. Preaching class, they told us to pray and pick a passage that God put on, our, on your heart and prepare a message. And it was Psalm 86 that God took me to. Later was asked to preach that message in chapel at Mid-America in May of 92. 99% of the time when I stand before you as a pastor, I'm preaching new stuff. And we've gone through different passages at different times together. And there are three or four sermons that I've preached a couple of times. Psalm 86 is different. I've preached from Psalm 86 more than 20 times over the last 30 years. Psalm 86 has been a traveling partner in my spiritual journey. Psalm 86 has been a go-to prayer again and again and again for the past three decades. And even though this there has been three, day, three decades of travel with this psalm and multiple times of preaching this psalm. Today's a fresh conversation. I, what I want to share with you today from Psalm 86 is like a visit with an old friend. Just sat back down again with Psalm 86 this week and said, Lord, we've been here before. I want to visit with you. I want to hear from you. What do you have to say? And I want to share with you what I've learned in this visit with an old friend. It's striking to me that after 
30 years of traveling with this psalm, how much this psalm really unknowingly to me has become a part of the fabric of the life of our church. Because here is the summary statement of Psalm 86. Here's the sermon in a sentence. The wholeheartedness of a believer is God's ultimate desire. The wholeheartedness of a believer is God's ultimate desire. Wholeheartedness means completely and sincerely devoted. And we find in Psalm 86, and just like Jason referred to just a few moments ago, wholehearted is kind of our word. And over time, God has just taken that call and repeated it again and again and again. I think we had no idea 17, 18 years ago when we grabbed a hold of the word wholehearted how much God wanted to use that word in the life of our church for years to come. Today, God's call on this morning is for us to have a relationship with him that's wholehearted. Let me give you the context of Psalm 86. Psalm 86 was written by King David. You might say today that that's not a surprise. and So many of the Psalms are written by King David, but not all. In fact, Psalms is 150 chapters. And Psalms with 150 chapters is divided into five books. Where we are in Psalm 86 means that we are in book three of five books that make up all of Psalms. And in book three of Psalms, this is the only Psalm that was written by King David. In a way, it's kind of a lonely Psalm. It's kind of isolated. Other Psalms in this part of uh, the book is are written by Asaph or by sons of Korah. This particular psalm, a prayer of David. When David writes this psalm and it stands alone under his authorship, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's dealing with loneliness. He's dealing with a sense of being isolated. And alone. This has happened because he's being attacked. And in his walk with God and pursuit of God and relationship with God, he his very life is threatened by some who have risen up around him that are godless and ruthless and arrogant. And they want to kill him. And King David sees that, identifies that as the trouble in his life, and prays to God about it. He says in the last verse of Psalm 86, he identifies these ruthless, arrogant, insolent enemies as people who hate him. You could say in our vernacular today that David had haters. 
And when David recognized that he had haters and that haters are going to hate, David said, God, I need you to be God. And today in your isolation or aloneness, aloneness or loneliness or maybe even a sense of attack because of what you believe about Jesus Christ and his word, hear King David. Haters will hate. Let God be God. Let God be God. And when he faces this crisis in his life, he finds relief. It's a good word for a corporate church. It's a good word for our body as we meet corporately today, as we stand for Christ and his word and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. There will be times where you feel like you're isolated or the world doesn't want to hear that or the world's going a totally different direction. But David finds relief. And he finds relief when he comes to term with what comes to terms with what he knows of God. And when he recognizes what he knows of God, that leads to him praising God and desiring a whole heart to do just that. And it results in God getting his ultimate desire. He wants your whole heart. He wants my whole heart. I want to visit with Psalm 86 with you. And so many times when you have visits with people, you ask questions. You want to catch up. But let me read these verses from Psalm 86, and then we're going to ask some questions. 86.1, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. 
because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So some questions for an old friend. Number one, what relationship does David have with God? When we read this prayer, what do we learn? What do we see? Here's the question. What relationship does David have with God? When you think about your place in life, the right place to start is your relationship with God. What relationship do you have with God? And David says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. There's three ways that King David describes his relationship with God in this prayer. He speaks of it being a godly relationship. This word godly, we look at that and there might be something in us that says, well, is David saying he was perfect? What David is saying is, is that he's in a relationship with God that's a covenant relationship. The word godly there is small case g, it's a descriptor. He's saying that his relationship with God is, is a godly kind of relationship. I have a godly relationship with God. Now, what opens the window for me for understanding here is to learn that the word godly there is the same Hebrew word that's translated loyal in other psalms. And David is acknowledging to God, when it comes to my relationship with you, I'm godly, I'm loyal to you. You're my lead. You're, you're who I'm covenanted with. And Kidner, a writer of one particular commentary on Psalms, says we see here a steadfast response to the steadfast love of God. He's saying I'm loyal to you. Also, we see that he has a servant relationship. He says, save your servant. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant. I love thinking about that verse and thinking at the same time that we're talking about a prayer of King David. He was one who's used to having servants. But he identifies in his relationship with God, servant. And it was a testimony of how he viewed God as his master and how he saw his role as king. And it's a reminder to me that if I am ever too big to serve, I'm definitely too small to lead. And here in this passage, David is saying, save your servant. I'm coming to you on servant terms. You're a master. And then he says, he has a believing relationship. He says, Serve your, save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. He's acknowledging in his relationship with God that he has a believing relationship. He trusts God. He believes that God can do what needs to be done. In a world filled with gods, small case G gods, idols, crafted gods, made of wood or stone, he says, you're my God. You're my God. It is a believing relationship. So think with me for just a moment before going further. What can we learn from this old friend? And I ask us all to consider 
Would you say you have a loyal relationship to God? Are you in a serving relationship with God? Are you in a believing relationship with God? Why not today? Why not believe today? Why not trust what he's done for you today? And you could go from following other gods, small case G, to following the one true God through Jesus Christ, who came as a servant to die for you on a cross so that your sins could be paid for. Trust him today. Believe in him today. And let the start of whatever the circumstance is in your life today be a starting point of, I believe in you, God. I trust in you, God. I am loyal to you, God. I'm I'm in a relationship with you through Jesus. Second question, what ask does David make in Psalm 86? What ask does David make in Psalm 86? King David, in your prayer, what are you asking? Well, maybe, I don't know if you picked up on it as we read through these 17 verses. But in these 17 verses, David asked a lot. I mean, like over and over again he asked. I mean, like over and over and over and over. Multiple, he asked a lot. In fact, when you, when you look at these 17 verses, he makes 15 ask in this prayer, in 17 verses, 15 times he asked God to do something. I was talking with Carla this week about the message and just random things pop out time to time. I said, Carla, you, you know in Psalm 86 that King David in his prayer, 15 times he asked God to do something. Her first response, he was a needy guy. I said, you just wrote scripture? It's exactly what David said. Do you see it? He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And he's about to tell us, I am poor and needy. Where are you today? Do you know that what we're doing in prayer is that we're acknowledging to God that we're needy. Prayerlessness is self-dependence. Prayerfulness, prayerfulness is God-dependence. Let me just run over these. Fifteen of these, for note-takers, you're going to be frustrated, Just, but here they are. He, he says, incline your ear, answer me, preserve my life, save your servant, be gracious, gladden my soul, give ear to my prayer, listen to my plea for grace, teach me your way, unite my heart, turn to me, be gracious. Give strength, save me, show me a sign of your favor. Fifteen times, incline your ear to me, answer me, preserve my life. Save your servant, be gracious. Glad my heart, give ear to my prayer, listen to my plea for grace. 
Teach me your way. Unite my heart. Turn to me. Be gracious. Give strength. Save me. Show me a sign of your favor. He asked and asked and asked and asked and asked. He recognized his need. So critical for you and me in our relationship with God is to admit that we're needy and spell it out. Number three, what commitments does David make to God? What commitments does David make to God? And what you see the connection between his ask and his commitments are is that he asked God believing that there would be something that he needed to do in obedience. And, and And he makes five commitments. In this prayer, he makes five commitments. Fifteen requests, five commitments. Verse four, I lift up my soul. I lift up my soul. Verse 7, I call to you. Verse 11, I will walk in your truth. Verse 12, I give thanks with my whole heart. And also in verse 12, I will glorify your name forever. When David makes requests, he follows that up with commitments. And it's evidence to us that he believed that as he presented things to God, God would answer and that would lead to a new living, new walking, new obedience, following of God. And today as you pray and you ask God, what commitment is God leading you to do? What's he saying to you? As you pray in the days ahead and present your request to God, listen close. As God responds and he works for where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to give, how he wants you to serve, who he wants you to be. Number four, what confidence does David have in God to answer? What confidence? When we pray, I think sometimes we pray by heart, sometimes we pray from memory, sometimes we pray with passion. Sometimes we pray out of obligation. In this psalm, you see a passion from King David. In fact, 30 years ago when I preached from the very first time from this passage, the title of the sermon was, Where is Your Passion? Because it seemed to me in verse 11 and 12 and 13, it captures of all of King David's writings, all of King David's heart. You have the central passage, the central passion of David's life. Teach me your way and I will walk in your truth. I will give thanks with my whole heart. I will glorify your name. Great is your steadfast love for me. You have delivered me. That was his passion. And and so where does this confidence come from? In, In this situation where insolent, arrogant, ruthless, godless men were seeking to take his life, haters in his life were coming after him. What confidence did he have? What confidence could you have today that God would rearrange your circumstances, change your loneliness, change the attack, relieve you, lift you? It's right where David found confidence. And David found confidence as expressed in verse 17 in this. It was God's present attributes and God's past actions. We find our confidence in prayer. We find our confidence in everyday living for Christ in his present attributes and his past 
actions, who God is now and what God has done in the past is the confidence that's given to you and to me for what God will do in the future. And one of the purposes for us coming together like this in a gathering is for God to bring us together and through his spirit to encourage our hearts together reminding us of what he's done in the past, showing us who he is now, so that when we head out for Monday, we'll be ready to meet a God who's going to be able to do what he's promised to do right in line with who he's always been. He does not change. He is not like shifting shadows, changing. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And a God who's, listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the God who he's been is the God who he is, and he is the God who he will be. That's where our confidence is. When we feel alone and isolated and attacked. In fact, this comes through so much in Psalm 86. Do you remember how many ask King David made? I'm getting risky here. How, how many asks did he make? He made how many asks? Fifteen. Would you believe how many attributes he identified in Psalm 86? Try 15. And it's like for every ask, there is an attribute of God. Listen to him. Sorry, note takers, but he is sovereign. He is good. He is forgiving. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's an answering God. He's creator. He's great. He's God alone. He's deliverer. He's merciful gracious, faithful, strong, a helper, and a comforter. That's who he is. You say sovereign. Pastor, I'm looking. I don't see sovereign. I see good and forgiving, steadfast. I don't see sovereign. It's there. In fact, it's there at least seven times. In this psalm, David addresses God by name a few times. In our English translation, it's Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. When you see it in those all capital letters, it's, it represents the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh. And it doesn't put Yahweh in our English Bibles. It puts Lord, capital L-O-R-D. But seven times, seven times David prays addressing not. Yahweh by name, but addressing God as Adonai. And for us in English, that's translated Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Adonai means sovereign, master. And David says again and again and again, seven times, Master, Lord, O sovereign one, O master, Lord, sovereign Sovereign God, he's acknowledging, God, you're in charge and I'm bringing my ask to you. Then he just reveals to us, shows us 
that God is good. Let me just say them again out loud. Just listen, listen, listen to these attributes of God in the midst of your asking, in the midst of your circumstance this morning. We have a God who's sovereign, good, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love, and answering God, a creator. Where do you see creator? Look, verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That is a promise of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The truth of that verse is played out for us in Revelation 7, Acts 1-8, and Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. King David was praying about it thousands of years before, and he acknowledges that all of those nations that one day would come and bow down and say, Lord of lords and King of kings, he's saying, God, you made them. That's why they will worship you. Your creation will worship you. So he's sovereign and good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. He's an answering God and a creator. He says that he's great. He's God alone, deliverer, merciful, gracious, faithful, strong, helper, comforter. Say amen. He's good. He's all of this and more. And as we take our prayers to the Lord, this, our confidence is wrapped up in his attributes. Why? Because it's according to his, proving, his proven character is how he acts. And so when you ask him to incline his ear to you or to save you, when you ask him, when you take your request to him, he works from who he is and who he's always been, and his actions are right in line with his attributes. Now, I want to close by making some application for what I learned from this visit with my friend this week. Number one. I've learned from Psalm 86 this week is, is this. The worth of writing our prayers is eternal. Stay with me for just a second, all right? Just another minute here. Or two or three. The worth of writing our prayers is eternal. King David wrote this prayer about 3,000 years ago. And look what we're doing. We're here again in this prayer, learning from it, being blessed by it, being helped by it, finding out who God is. And you know that in Revelation 5, it says that the bowl of incense that was held was full of what? The prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Men, I want to I encourage you. From time to time, write out your prayer. Put it in a journal. Put it on a piece of paper and stick it in your Bible. Write out your prayer. Women, write out your prayer. Teenagers, college students, write out your prayer. Why, pastor? Why? Because it clarifies. It clarifies who God is and what our asks are. And when you go back to those prayers, what you see is God hasn't answered that prayer. 
or God answered that prayer in a different way than I thought he would. But it'll always be according to his character. Our God is in the process of answering this prayer. Or you might read and say, hallelujah, today God answered my prayer. And what will happen is, you'll learn a little bit more about who God is. Number two, the wake of loneliness can be suffocating. The weight of loneliness can be suffocating. When you read through this psalm, David's asking, David's praising. He says, he speaks here of, he says, this is the day of my trouble. It's the day of my trouble. They're after my life. And you may be walking through days of loneliness right now because of attack or grief, some kind of loss, some kind of isolation. There, there will be days in the future, corporately as a church, where we will feel alone in our culture. Maybe we're already there. And we'll look around and say, what are we going to do? We'll need to go back to Psalm 86 and remember who God is and what he can do. Number three, the wisdom of life. The wisdom of life is knowing God. I don't know of any more important statement that I can make than that this morning. The wisdom of life is knowing God. We'd be amazed at how many facts. Listen, you put us on Jeopardy together today, we're going home with a million dollar prize, aren't we? All of us together. Think about how much knowledge is in this room, how many degrees, how much education, how much life experience from literally all over the world. I mean, you, you, can, you can quote plays on third down in the third quarter from 1972 when the pass felt incomplete. I mean, you know who should have caught it, and who should have even been in the game. I mean, we, we've got knowledge. And it goes beyond just sports and weather and science. we got Bible knowledge. You've been in Bible studies all year. We have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and Sunday class studies and small group studies and, and, and Bible studies and Bible studies and Bible studies and Bible studies. Listen, the wisdom of life is knowing knowing God how do we know I just gave you that list how do, we, how do we know that that God is good and forgiving and abounding and steadfast love and deliver merciful gracious faithful strong help? how do we know that we learned it from God's word and how did King David know it he knew God. And as he knew God and he learned who God is, God revealed his character to him. And it was the hope of his life. I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you know God? In all, in all of your getting, 
at God. Know him. Do you think he'll ask us? I don't know what he'll ask us, but just imagine walking in and God wanting to know how many books I've read. Not likely. Have you read my book? Did you know my word? Did you know me? Did you get to know me? Number four, the weapon of our warfare is praise. The weapon of our warfare is praise. The weapon that David had against insolent men that had risen up against him was praise. It was the bow in his arsenal. And as he identified his day of trouble, in the midst of his ask, he just kept praising the Lord. He just kept praising the Lord, and it brought him to a place of relief. You see, you put those two together, knowing God and praise. Praise is the bow. It's the tool. Praise is the, is, is, is the tool. It's the bow. It's the weapon. Knowing God, that's the arrow. When we know him and we find out that he's good and forgiving, and we come to the Lord and we praise him, we lift up what to him? Lord, incline your ear to me. You're good. I need you to do goodness. Lord, in this world, this world is unfaithful. God, you're faithful. I need you to be faithful to me right now. We've, we fight our wars with praise as we battle in this life with our heart and our mind. We say, Lord, I want to praise you. That's why you read in God's word he, him saying, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. That's why he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because when you, he knew that coming into the house of the Lord was where the praise was going to take place. And as the praise took place, it would change his life. Number five, the way of victory begins with a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The way of victory begins with a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Look this way. Every ask of David was attached to an attribute of God. And every attribute of God is answered in the person of Jesus Christ. And the greatest answer to prayer that we can have is whatever life deals, our faith and trust and loyalty is in Jesus Christ. The ultimate desire of God is your whole heart. Your whole heart. Matthew 22, 7, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Let's bow together. Father, I pray today, first, if anyone in this room has sought to fill their heart with something first over Jesus, that you would show them today who you are and your offer of salvation. 
we pray for souls to be saved today. I pray that someone in this room right now would trust you, Jesus, with their whole heart. Would you search us and try us, Lord? I ask you to unite our heart, to give us a whole heart. Walk around in our life and our heart and see if any affection has taken your place. We worship you, King Jesus. God, you are good and great and faithful, strong and merciful and gracious. God of steadfast love, we praise you as our creator. You are sovereign. You are forgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross alone for us and laying down your life so that we could be together with you this day and forever. And it's in your name we pray and rejoice.